Enjoying the summer? Yeah, enjoy it while it lasts. Uh, of course, we're looking forward to next weekend on Carnival uh, weekend. And um, you know, we have our own evangelist with us that Sunday, William Lee. William Gypsy Lee is going to be with us next nine o'clock, 11 o'clock service, and also preaching the gospel at the uh, 6 30 concert in the evening. I bring a big hello from our senior minister, Colin Dye. Uh, he is on the mission field in France. He's, uh, m- many of you know we, we have a work, a Bible school in Marseille, and Colin is working amongst the churches and believers there. Also, he'll be making a trip to our church in Paris with David and Christian Tabot. so we're excited about that. Aren't you excited to have a senior minister who's also a missionary? Amen. <laughs> And uh, a great thanks from him and us all here as well for our missions month. We had a fantastic, well I say so myself, I had a fantastic missions month. And uh, we had a goal to raise £50,000 for the work that we wanted to do in Brazil. And so far we've got 44500 <laughs> It was, I mean, just keep, it just keeps building. It was 43,000. Uh, that was before yesterday when our senior minister's wife, Amanda, and many of her cell leaders, they had an incredible car boot sale outside uh, in the car park, and all the locals came round. And so that added up well over 1,000 pounds as well, and so many other people. That's right. And encourage yourselves, because so many people have done so much for the mission field. On top of that, we've raised about £5,000 for church planting in Romania and the work of Algeria. You know, one of the things that we have determined in our heart, and this comes right from the senior minister's leadership, is to go where the Holy Spirit sends us. We are London and the world for Christ, and many people from all over the world are part of us, and they go back to the world with what they've got, and that's wonderful, but God also wants us to be strategic. And uh, Colin has over the years had many, many invitations to multiple conferences of thousands and thousands of people, but he turns them down because he wants to go where nobody's going. And so that's why he goes to places, and we're here to support him in this. That's why he goes to unnamed nations in the Middle East and North Africa, where he travels into the wilds and the villages, and they bring bring for a conference And we've sponsored that from Kensington Temple. 30 or 40 new believers, many of which got saved through having dreams of Jesus. Don't know anything. All they know is what they get from the TV stations and the programs that we put on, on El Malakut that reaches North Africa. And we bring them together for a conference. Many of them don't even know what the Trinity is. And our own senior minister is there ministering to them, teaching them, training them, going where nobody else goes. That's us, to boldly go where no man or woman has gone before. Is that a Bible scripture? I think it is. should be. Wonderful. Welcome to those of you joining us live at our Coronet Cinema over the road. Great to have you with us today, and we're going to get straight into the Word. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. The title of my sermon today 
is strong in word and spirit. Strong in word and spirit. We're looking at the launch of Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, following John speaking, John the Baptist. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw down yourself, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and... In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your feet against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things have been given, I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Here, in this background, we are looking at the launching of the ministry of Jesus. And you will see today that at the launch of his ministry, he was strong in spirit, but also strong in word. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants us to be today. Strong in spirit and strong in word. For 30 years, he hadn't done one miracle. For 30 years, he hadn't preached one sermon. We know from the scriptures, but for those 30 years, what was he doing? Well, he was growing in stature before man and with God. God's favor was upon him. And he was studying the word of God. We have that wonderful picture, don't we, of Jesus in the temple as a young boy. It's the only picture we have of him. And what is he doing when his parents have left the feast and they find that Jesus isn't with the traveling party? They return and find that Jesus, the young boy, what's he doing? He's in the word of the Bible scholars, discussing the word, learning the word. 
For 30 years, Jesus was in the word, but he didn't move out into the wilderness, into the battle, until he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He knew he had to be strong in word, but he also knew he had to have the corresponding strength of the Holy Spirit to be able to do what the Father had asked him to do. So we saw him baptized by John right there and the Holy Spirit resting upon him. And then immediately the Holy Spirit thrusts him into this wilderness situation to go face to face and toe to toe with the devil. Now the last time the devil was face to face with a human being in scripture was Adam. And when he tested Adam, Adam failed. And in Adam's failure, the whole world fell too. Also, in this picture of Jesus in the wilderness, it takes us back in our mind to the time of the testing of the people of God under Moses in their wilderness testing. Do you remember? The generation of Moses, they too, like Jesus, went into the wilderness. And there, God tested them. Tested their relationship with him. Tested their faith. The tests were meant to make them strong so that they could go into the promised land and be victorious in the inheritance that God had for them. But time and time again, they failed the test. And in the end, that short journey through the wilderness to the victory of the promised land became 40 years where a whole generation was lost because it refused to pass the the test in the wilderness. And Jesus here in the wilderness, the wilderness is a great picture It's a great picture of the world that we live in. How many of you know the world isn't as it was when it was first created? How many of you know that the world is broken and fallen? The world is a wilderness. It doesn't work as it was created to work. When God created this world, the universe and everything in it, he said it was good. When he looks upon the earth today, he sees all manner of evil and brokenness and death and sickness and violence and sin. It's not as he created it, but he sent his son to begin to fix it. And so when we see Jesus entering into this wilderness, we see that he is tested by the devil. Now, we always think that this is Jesus' temptations. But I I would prefer if they translated the word temptation as testing. Because that word can equally mean testing. And after all, when Jesus was tempted, it's not that he had any lusts or sin within him that was working, that were bringing him into temptation, was it? He was always and forever and still is the spotless Lamb of God, and in whom no sin was found. So this is not a temptation in the sense that we may be tempted by our own lusts. The word, the Greek word used here is pirazzo. Pirazzo, it can mean temptation, but more often than not in the New Testament, it means to test, to put to the test, to examine or to prove, as in a trial. So here we see in Jesus' first moments of Holy Spirit word ministry, he goes straight to the battle line, and there the devil comes and says, so you're the son of God. Well, let's see what kind of son of God you are. And he tests him. Now, it's not my agenda today to go through the different tests or temptations. I want to draw out the motifs of word, strong in word, and strong in spirit and apply that to our lives. But I must just mention these tests because the tests that Jesus went through in the wilderness experience are exactly the same manner 
of tests that you and I face in this life. Exactly the same. Because don't you know it, you're in a wilderness. It's a jungle out there. I don't know if you noticed London town. It's a jungle. A spiritual jungle out there. And the devil is roaming and testing. And it's a fallen world. And it's a wilderness. And what he faced, you will face because you are his followers. And so just quickly, the first test that he faced, the test of turning stone into bread. The devil is saying, if you're the son of God, then use your powers for your own benefit. This was the first test. And he'd been 40 days without food. He was hungry. And he's like, look, if you've got authority and power, make your authority, your gifting, your power, your favor, your ability, make it work for yourself. But Jesus refused to do that because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And all his authority and his power that he laid down in glory to become as a child and and be fully man and fully God, everything he had was for us. All his powers, his abilities. He wasn't here to make him great. He was here to make you saved. And so the first test, and this is a test that we face. Again, I don't want to go down this line too much in the sermon, but it's necessary to mention. You will be tested in your life, the gifts that you have, the abilities that you have. The resources, maybe you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Maybe you had a good education. Maybe you've got a gift or ability in some area of life. Maybe you've got a good career, whatever it is, and whatever level, whatever God has given you, the devil will come to you and say, if you are a son of God, if you are a child of God, use those things for your own benefit. I'm not saying you can't be blessed out of those things, but you use your giftings that God has given you for yourself. No, everything that God has given you is for others. For others in the kingdom, not for yourself. That was the first test. The second test was to take him up on the pinnacle of the temple and say, throw yourself off here. Here's the word of God, and you won't die. He was saying, if you're the son of God, don't mess around with going to the cross and suffering. Here's the shortcut, an easy way, a way to just show off. Throw yourself off. Everybody will see you. Everybody will see this great miracle. You won't need to go to the cross. They'll be following you anyway. They'll be seeing who you really are. And that's the second test that we will face consistently in our lives, in this wilderness of this fallen world, with a demonic power behind it, to take shortcuts in life, to take shortcuts with God. Not to go the way of self-service or sacrifice, but to... Take the shortcut, the easy road. That's what charismatic Christianity is often all about. Making it work for you. And Jesus said, I will not take shortcuts. I will go where my Father takes me to go. I will go the way of the cross. And that's where the glory will come. I will not show off or use my abilities for a shortcut to glory. And then finally, worldly power and glory. I'll give you all the world if you bow down and worship me. We face that in our lives. And it's not as so, so in your face as worship the devil. It's like a silent pact where we begin to go after the things of the world like others go after the world. And Jesus again said, no, I'm not having it. I am for God. And in these three tests, all of these tests were tests of his relationship with his father whether he would use his power for self, 
whether he would take shortcuts in life, go the easy way instead of the, instead of the narrow path, and whether he would go for the worldly glory and power that Satan is using. They were tests on his relationship and obedience to his father. Now, it's the same for us, but that's not where I really want to focus today. I want to focus on the fact that it was only because Jesus was strong in spirit and strong in word that he could go out into the wilderness, face the devil toe-to-toe, battle the devil, succeed the test, and enter into victory. And the first thing I want to talk about is that he was strong in spirit. I mentioned that for 30 years, Jesus was studying the word. The word was in him. He had no ministry until this point when he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. He did not enter into ministry at all. He was waiting to be anointed for this task. And notice what the Holy Spirit did as soon as he was anointed. It's amazing. You can see this even more in the Luke account of the same passage. We go to um, Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. Jesus is baptized with the Holy Spirit. And now he's ready to enter into his ministry. And it says, Luke 4.1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, it's important... If you go behind the Greek in this verse, it doesn't really just say led into the wilderness. Like the Holy Spirit said, okay, Jesus, this way, if you please. Here you are. Just just come this way. There you are. I've led you into the wilderness. Go and deal with the devil. The actual Greek says that he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. In other words, listen, this is a very important point. When Jesus was in this wilderness experience... And when he was facing the tests and the enemy, he was led by the Holy Spirit in everything he did and everything he said. Not just led into the wilderness, but in the wilderness. During this thing, he's saying, Holy Spirit, anoint me. Holy Spirit, be with me. Holy Spirit, show me. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Holy Spirit, I rely totally upon you. I would not even come into the wilderness if it wasn't for you. And now I'm here. The sons of God, my friends, are led by the Spirit of God. And Jesus was full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. But I also want you to notice something else about the character of the Holy Spirit and the Son of God. That the first thing the Holy Spirit did when he came upon Jesus' life was take him to the battle line. If we were to go back to Mark, I haven't got time, but go back to Mark's record of the baptism... It says that when Jesus was baptized by John and received the power of the Holy Spirit, the Greek word is ekbalo, from where we get the word ball, which you throw. It says literally that the Holy Spirit threw Jesus into the wilderness. In in the um, New King James Version, in the Mark account, it says that that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Think about that. You drive cattle, don't you? The strength. It's like the Holy Spirit. Jesus had been waiting 30 years for the anointing to come with the word that was in him. But the Holy Spirit had been waiting 30 years too. And as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon his life, it was like, we haven't got time to mess around. 
We haven't got time for little conferences. We haven't got time for little cotton wool existences. The Holy Spirit has come upon the Son of God for divine purpose to destroy the very works of the enemy. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus and he's on him. He says, let's go, Son of God. I'm taking you to the thick of the battle, to the battle line. And we're going to face the biggest enemy, the Satan himself. And he throws him into the battle line. No wonder Jesus said to his disciples, stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Don't go out naked. Don't go out without the Holy Spirit. Not even the Son of God went out to the battle line without being filled with the Spirit and then being led by the Spirit when he was in the wilderness. You're in the wilderness today, my friends. We are citizens of heaven. We are pilgrims in an unholy land. This is a wilderness. The only people who don't think they're in a wilderness have so capitulated to the enemy that they don't know a spiritual wilderness when they see it. It's called being backslid. You're in a wilderness. I hope you're baptized with power from on high. I hope you'll keep being filled with the Spirit. I hope you are leaning and resting on the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit because you can't face the enemy in those tests on your own. You'll be defeated. Jesus didn't do it. He told his disciples not to do it. But when that anointing came on the day of Pentecost and they began speaking in other tongues, within a few short hours, they were on the battlefront preaching the gospel. People were getting saved. The whole of the Acts of the Apostles is about men and women who were strong in spirit, but also strong in word. I mean, the miracles, the lead, the Holy Spirit said, go do this. The Holy Spirit said, don't do this. They were seeking the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit, you are a candidate for ministry. Full of the Holy Spirit, God would use you. It shouldn't be called the Acts of the Apostles. It should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through those that were filled with the Word and the Spirit. That's what it should be called. Hallelujah. Thrust into the battle at the battlefront. To be tested, full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit. But you know, being filled with the Spirit is of no avail if you are not walking in the Word. Jesus, if Jesus hadn't been in the Word those 30 years and had been filled with the Spirit, I know it's a crazy thought, but go with me. If Jesus had gone in to the wilderness experience, being filled with the Spirit, but not strong in the Word, he would have failed. He would have failed. And the problem with the majority of charismatics in the Western world is they are not strong in word. And if you're not strong in the word, you might think you're filled with the Spirit, but it's of no no avail. I mean, if Jesus... You see, the Holy Spirit has a weapon. Do you know that? Do you know that? He has a weapon. What is the weapon of the Holy Spirit? It is a sword. Ephesians 6.17 The sword of the, not the sword of man, the sword of the Spirit. Whose sword is it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a weapon. It's he that wields the sword. You know the passage, I hope, well, the armor of God. Ephesians 6, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes of the gospel. But the offensive weapon is not your weapon. It's not the sword of the believer. It's the sword of the Spirit. 
And so if you don't have the sword of God's word, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, if you're not strong in word, how can the Holy Spirit wield his sword through you? If the devil had come to Jesus and said, turn these stones into bread, and he'd not been strong in word, the Holy Spirit would not have been able to lead him to use the sword of the Spirit and cut down the enemy's test. Jesus would have been, without the strength of word, he'd be like, oh, turn these stones into bread. Well, that seems like a good idea. I I think that's a good idea, Holy Spirit. What do you think? Um, I think it's a good idea. If I think it's a good idea, I guess you think it's a good idea. I am hungry. I don't, um, uh, um, uh, don't really know what to do. But what happened was, when the devil came to him and said, turn these stones into bread, the Holy Spirit immediately took the scripture. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the uh, mouth of God, and it became the sword of the Spirit wielded through Jesus' mouth that cut down the enemy and cut down the trial. Listen to me. This isn't some sort of Star Wars episode, Return of the Jedi, where Jesus from the, the, the Jesus from the light side, meet Satan from the dark side, and they begin to electric power, and the force is meeting, and they're throwing these things and lightsabers at dawn, and power, power, power. This was a battle over the word and the spirit. Jesus, he could have used any power that was available to him as the son of God, fully God, fully man, but he only fought with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. That's how he fought the enemy. That's how he overcame the trial, with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. He was strong in spirit and strong in word. How about you? How are you? And you know what? The devil respected the Word. You see, it was, you see the, the masks were off, the gloves were off. I mean, this was, what's that full body contact sport called MMA or something? You know, don't you? <laughs> You know where they get in there? I mean, boxing's one thing. Moving around. But there's rules. There's rules. You can't kick. But there's that one where all those men get in with their underpants in a cage. And it's like there's no rules. Or seemingly. You know, but boxing, this was no rules. But also no pretenses. One of the greatest devil, devil strategies on earth today is to say that the word of God has no authority and power. But in Jesus, he knew there was no point trying to... And so Jesus used the word. The devil tried to use the word back. It is written. You see, in the wilderness of your life, if you can't say it is written, you're finished. I'm, I'm saying, I mean, it is written. And not just the word, but the sword of the spirit. If you can't say, if you can't stand on the word, if the word is not strong with you, you're finished. You're absolutely finished. Forget it. Game over. And this happened with Adam and Eve. When Adam faced the devil and Eve faced the devil, it was a battle of over God's word. Did God say that you will die? Questioning God's word. Secondly, you shall not die. Total opposite to God's word. And why did Adam and Eve fail? Because they were not strong in the word of God in their hearts and the devil defeated them. But Jesus says here in this very scripture, man does not live by bread alone. Now, this is important. 
The man had not eaten for 40 days. He was hungry. But he understood that actually spiritual sustenance is more important than physical sustenance. I mean, if you go out without a meal for a day or two, you begin to feel it. You begin, your, your, your ability at work, you don't have the strength. If you go without for a week or two weeks or three weeks, you, be, you begin to become weak and frail. You, you're not working at optimum uh, for, for what you're doing. You're weakened in body. You're fainted, yes? Well, this was, Jesus was at that point physically, but he said, this is nothing. This is nothing compared to those that have fasted from God's word. There's people under the sound of my voice today. You've been on a fast. You haven't properly read the word of God for 40 days at least. You think you can get by with the morsel that comes on a Sunday? No way. No way. You're not feeding on God's word. That's why you're weak. That's why you can't cope with the things that face you. You're complaining about God, but you refuse to eat your food. It's like a little child that won't eat their meal. And, you, and you, you've got it all wrong because you're not strong in the word and the Holy Spirit in the situations you'll find yourself. The Holy Spirit comes along ready to use his sword, looking for it. And he can't find it in your life to wield because you're not strong in the word. Man does not live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that proceedeth. Is present tense. You see, God will touch the word and make the word alive for you in whatever situation you're in. He will turn your logos into rhema. And the word for word in that passage in Ephesians is rhema. Logos means the whole counsel of God, the word of God. Rhema means God taking the word Breathing on it, making it living and active. You know that Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that the word of God is like a two-edged sword. There we have it again. But remember, it's the spirit sword that works through you. The word of God is a two-edged sword. It is living, active. When the Holy Spirit finds somebody that's strong in the word, he acts. Activates the word for the season. He activates the word for the trial. He activates the word for victory. And when he activates the word, it becomes a sword that he wields through your mouth in prayer. Hallelujah. In confession and action. Oh, glory to God. To defeat the demonic forces sent to test you in this wilderness world that we are passing through. Man does not live by bread alone. You need to strengthen yourself in the word on, the, on a daily basis. The problem with the church of Jesus Christ in the western world and in Europe is it is anemic, not anemic, it is anorexic. It is anorexic. It doesn't feed, and when it feeds, it doesn't digest, it throws it up. People listen to the word of God, it seems like they're chewing on it in the service, and then when they leave, they throw it up to feast on the things and words of the world. Because let me tell you something, if you're not feeding on God's word, what word are you feeding on? If you're not feeding on the bread of life, 
If God's word is not strong in you, what are you feeding on? You're feeding on something. You're feeding on something, whether it's the media or the news or the world. This is a strong message, but a simple message. In uh, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, it says, Paul said he came to the Corinthians and, well, they seemed to be strong in spirit, didn't they? They lacked no spiritual gift. They spoke in tongues, although Paul spoke in tongues more than them all. They had miracles. And, and Paul said, I came to you new babies. I came to you with some meat. Some protein. I mean, you know these people, that they're always in the gym and they're always drinking milkshakes. And I'm thinking, is there a McDonald's nearby? And they say, no, 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 not that kind of milkshake. High protein milkshake. Well, why are you, why are you drinking milkshake? To build my body up as I exercise it. Well, Paul came to the Corinthians and said, I got some strong milkshake for you. I got some stuff that's going to power you up. I've got some stuff that's going to put meat on your spiritual bone. Your spiritual man is going to become strong. You're going to feed on what I've got to you. But I couldn't give it to you. I couldn't give it to you. Because like a baby not ready to be weaned, you're spitting it out. Because you're carnal, worldly, going after the wisdom of the world and pretending it's the wisdom of God, you can barely keep your milk down. The ABCs of how to get saved. You can barely keep that down. Let alone me start giving you some steak. Let alone me start giving you some spiritual protein. To make you strong. To make you an overcomer. So that we can put you on the front line. You say you've got the Holy Spirit. But it's not working because you're quarreling. You're fighting. You're lusting. And you talk about the Spirit and the Spirit's there. It's got nothing to work on. No sword to wield. You're swordless Christians, wordless Christians. No wonder you're mishearing the Holy Spirit. No wonder all manner of the flesh is taking place. Because the Spirit is looking for the believer that has a word within them that he can wield. We've spoken about the Spirit and we've spoken about the Word. But we want to speak about this partnership more. Matthew 22 verse 29. And I like the authorized version here. It says... You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. You do err. In other translations, it says you're in error because you know neither the scriptures, sorry, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. But you're in error. It makes it sound like you just don't, you're not thinking right. You've made a mistake. But you do err is better because it's like Jesus is saying, you do wrong. You do wrong. You do wrong not knowing the scriptures. And you do wrong not knowing the power of God. Because equally, the scriptures, without the power of God, you're wasting your time. Jesus waited 30 years for the power of God. He had the scriptures. He had the word by that time. Word without spirit. Word, if you're in there with a Bible, hey, a Jehovah's Witness has got a Bible. If you're in there with a Bible in the wilderness and the devil's coming to test you and you've got a Bible but no spirit, forget it. Why? Because how can you be led by the spirit? How can he take the word? How can he show you the sword? How can he awaken it? How can he lead you? How can he teach you? The sons of God are led by the spirit of God. This was a problem with the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3. He said, what's the matter with you? 
You began in the Spirit. Are you being perfected in the flesh? The Word came to you by faith. And the Word came to you, Galatians. And the Spirit came to you. And miracles took place. You were led by the Spirit. You were strong in the Word. But you turned your back on both. And you've become weak and legalistic. You do wrong. You do wrong in your thinking. You do wrong in your family. You do wrong in your job. You do wrong in your circumstances. You face the trial wrongly. You make the wrong decisions. You don't go with God. Why? You're in error. You are doing wrong because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. The partnership of the word and the spirit. So what am I saying here? I'm saying it's time to get back to basics. Hallelujah. I had a friend of mine in one of my cell groups, and he's a top executive, top executive in his field. But I noticed one of the things about the cell group is that you, when you meet regularly and you get to know people, you notice when things are wrong. I noticed he wasn't firing on all cylinders. I noticed that he didn't seem to be as stable as he used to be. And after a while, as this kept on going, I, I said, can I ask you a question? He said, go ahead. I said, are you in the Word most every day? Do you read your Bible every day or most every day? Do you have a read Bible reading plan? He said, no. I said, how do you get into the Word? He said, well, on a Sunday or maybe watch Christian TV or occasionally does what? Have you ever done this? Lucky dip? Oh, I'm in a mess. Oh, the devil's testing me. I'm in the wilderness. <laughs> Speak to me. Do you know what I mean? Thumbing through the word. Spirit, show me someone. You're in this situation. You thumb in the word while you're drinking bottles of whiskey. You're drinking, you're getting drunk, and you're like, speak to me. God loves you. I said, you need to get in the word on a daily basis. And so I said, I'm going to make sure, are you up for it? He said, yes, I am. So I bought him a daily Bible reading plan for a year. And I gave it to him. I said, every day. Every day. He began to do that. And I'm going to come to that. I said, also, I want you to speak in tongues 20 minutes a day. Most every day. Now, I say most every day because this. It's not about reading your Bible every day and then missing it and then giving up. We've all been there, or some of us have been there, where you start January the 1st, Genesis 1. By March, you're in Leviticus and, and you've given up. Or you're 20 chapters behind and you're trying to speed read it to catch up, and the Spirit's not in it, it's not helping you, and you say, I can't do this, I give up. Look, I said last week, I forgot to take my Bible reading plan on holiday. So what did you do? I didn't read my Bible. I read some Christian books, but I didn't read my Bible. I came back. What did you do? I looked at how much I had to catch up, and I thought, forget this, I'll start today. You see, you look at me, but I'm telling you, it's regular Bible reading that counts. I am in the Word most every day. It's a mistake if I'm not in the Word every day. And if I miss being in the Word every day, I either catch up or I move on, but I very rarely miss it. This is for all you legalists out there, that when I tell you to read your Bible every day, 
You'll give it a go, you'll miss a few days, and then you'll give up because you didn't read it every day. It's about regular Bible reading. But it's not just about regular Bible reading. It's about coming to the word with the Spirit and saying, Lord, I'm reading your word, but I'm asking your word to read me. It's about, because that will feed you. That will make you strong. God will be able to speak to you and put in you his mind. We need the renewal of the mind in our lives. And so I said, you need to read the word every day. Most every day. Here's your plan. And then I said to him, you need to speak in tongues for 20 minutes a day. Because when, you, because when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, the gift he brought with him was tongues. And when they knew that other people had been baptized in the Holy Spirit later on, it was because they were spoke in tongues. In fact, they even settled the theological debate of whether God had accept Gentiles or not. And Peter said, well, they spoke in tongues just like us. Tongues is an amazing gift to be used on a daily basis. It builds you up. It edifies you. It strengthens you. You're in the word and you're speaking in tongues. When you speak in tongues, you speak not to man but to God. And you speak mysteries. When you get up in the morning, you speak 15 to 20 minutes. When you do at least that in the morning, you're speaking in tongues. What you're doing is you are praying over your day. I got him to do it. What began? After a couple of weeks, he began to notice a difference. Not in his circumstances, but in him. He became spiritually stable. He started to get spiritually strong. He noticed that in meetings, he, was, he, had a, he had more intuition of what was going on. He was able to check himself and not react wrongly. He, he had wisdom that was flowing. Insights that were flowing. Someone says, I don't have time to read my Bible every day, speaking tongues at least 15 to 20. Don't have time. Well, that's because you're not reading the Bible and speaking in tongues 15, 20 minutes. I know what it is to be a Christian that doesn't read his Bible every day and doesn't speak in tongues every day. I know what that's like. And when you don't speak in tongues most every day and read your Bible most every day, you don't have enough time in the day. But when you speak in other tongues and read in the Word, it it gives you more time. You see things quicker. You do things quicker. You've been in it, haven't you? When you've gone through a day and things are just happening. Things are just happening. That's what it's like. You prayed through the day. Something strange happens. Or something you weren't expecting takes place in the day. And guess what? You're ready for it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has already been praying through you. Praying it through. Words that you don't understand. Very often when you're speaking in tongues, you get insights. I've had revelation, insights, words come up out of speaking in tongues. And if you speak in tongues on a daily basis, you're reading your word on a daily basis, you're set up for victory. You will become strong in word and in spirit. And you will find that you will grow better and stronger. I said last week, most people come to, say, a church on Sunday and they're drowning. And then, and then the word comes and, and they're like, oh, get the hell, that was a strong word, that word, hell. Monday morning, Sunday morning. You ever done that? You hear what I'm saying? No, Jesus doesn't want you to do that. Jesus wants you to get up out of the drowning of your circumstances and begin to walk on the water. The devil's testing The devil's putting you through circumstances. 
And the devil's putting you through tests and circumstances and that which is common in this wilderness world. And he knows that man, that woman, no spirit. Not strong in spirit. That man, that woman, no word. No word, no spirit. What are they going to do? Are they going to try and beat me at my own game? Are they going to try and use techniques that I am the master of? Are they going to use worldly wisdom, worldly force, worldly strength? Are they going to pit their fallen intellect against mine? I'm going to beat them at every count. But the man or woman that comes, that's filled with the Spirit, prays in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, in the Word, and the Holy Spirit comes and says, just a minute, Satan, I see my sword strong in that believer, and they are being led in the wilderness, and I'm going to take up my sword in that believer's life. I'm going to give them the word for the season, the word for the test. No test, no trial can be dealt with without God's word. Those that think otherwise are backslidden. God's calling on us to rise up and become what we claim to be, Pentecostals. You see, if all you, you say, I read my word, not enough. If you read your word most every day and don't speak in tongues most every day, please don't call, you a Pente, call yourself a Pentecostal. Call yourself conservative evangelical. If you're not in the word most every day, don't call yourself Pentecostal. Call yourself crazy charismatic. You hear what I'm saying? If, you don't, if you're not in the word on a daily basis most every day, and if you don't speak in tongues 15 minutes most every day, if you don't do either of those things, don't call yourself, call yourself a liberal Christian and go off to some church where they don't even believe the Bible because that's where you belong. I'm saying this for your benefit, some of you, you're weak. You're weak because you're not in the word. You're weak because you're not in the spirit. You're out there, I understand. This is a word of deliverance and freedom and strength, not a word of accusation. It's a word to put you back where you belong, in the word and the spirit. If Jesus, you see, God showed me a picture of the church in Europe on the battle lines. And I saw the enemy and they were all arrayed. In, in, in ranks on the battle lines. And then I turned in the spirit to see where the Church of Europe was on the battle line, the front line. And there was just a few people there, strong in word and spirit, but there was no, not enough people for ranks, not enough people for a major assault on the enemy. And I said, Lord, where is the rest? And he said, look behind the front lines. I looked behind the front lines, and what did I see? Behind the front lines, Christians were fighting one another. And the hospital tents were filled with Christians saying, too wounded to fight. But the Lord said, most of these aren't wounded. They're just weak. And they have no swords. God wants to change that. God wants us to get back, you see, when the Pentecostals 
first started coming, I'm speaking about the anointing, not, not denominations as great as they are. I'm speaking about a move of God. When they first came 100 years ago, what did they have? They had the word and they had the spirit. And they preached the word and believed the word and spoke in tongues and turned this world upside down in the greatest missionary movement that has ever taken place in the world. But now we're in danger. So, application time. Get yourself today, if you don't have one, a daily Bible reading plan. Now, you can get one off the internet and download it and print it out. We even have some available, Murray McShane, here for 50p. And you just start on the day. Don't wait till January. You start today. Oh, yeah, in January. You start today and you read today and you read tomorrow. And after a while, this will become your habit. If you miss a day, if you miss a week, you just start again, right where you are. You hear what I'm saying? Because it's daily, regular reading that matters. It's not that you've read every little scripture in one year. It's that you're in the word on a daily basis. You will begin to see great change in your life. But also that you begin to speak in tongues 15 minutes. Say, can I do it five? No. Ten? No. Stop bartering with me. It takes ten minutes just to get into speaking in tongues flow. Start speaking in tongues in a different tongue, not the same old stuff that your mind is already copying. You go and speak in tongues as if it was the first time that you've ever spoken in tongues. A colleague of mine, well not a colleague, but a, another friend of mine who is another um, executive in uh, finances, he told me a story last week about speaking in tongues. He began to speak in tongues on a regular basis, began to give him the edge in his business and life and everything like that, as I've said. And he was going to have an MRI scan. Uh, nothing dangerous. They do it every year for him. And as he got in the MR, MRI scan in that big tube, it, all noises started happening. And he thought, I'm not, I don't like this. I'm going to speak in tongues. So he began, he told me this on Friday, he began to speak in tongues all the way through his MRI scan. Afterwards, and he has it every year and it's always been fine, afterwards the person took it and said, um, I need to take this straight to the consultant. Uh, I don't understand this. don't understand the readings. Took it to the consultant. The consultant sat down with him and he said this. What were you doing <laughs> during that scan? Because the wavelengths and everything. I mean, what is going on inside you? I'll tell you what's going on inside him. He was speaking in other tongues as the Holy Ghost led him to be. He was, he was washing his mind in the spirit. He was awakening. That's what was going on. He wasn't praying with the mind. He was praying with the spirit. And the mind was receiving the anointing of God. This is for real, friends. If you do what I tell you to do today, Bible reading plan. Speaking in tongues, 15 to 20 minutes a day. You will change. You will go strong. You will get closer and closer to Jesus. You will enter the wilderness. And you will be strong in word and strong in spirit. Give the Lord a clap offering of praise. <laughs>